Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, welcome to the 333rd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Michael Lippert. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today we are talking about what we've been up to. We're going to talk about some travel jobs we've had recently, some takeaways, my issues with steady cams and coverage and other fun craft related things, but also a little bit about how our attitudes about filmmaking and what's fun and what's not as fun have evolved as we've been progressing through our careers as filmmakers. Also, I will mention that I am in Cleveland at my in-laws house, but I was supposed to be back in LA already and my flight's been canceled and then they rebooked me for the next day and then they canceled it again. I'm traveling with four people and it's a real pain in the butt. Anyhow, Matt, I've been dying to know, what have you been working on lately? We've got plenty of stuff to talk about, but the thing that you reminded me of is a thing that, who knows, maybe we'll cut out. I don't know. I think there's an interesting metaphor. It reminded me about an aspect of my personality that I think is interesting and pertinent to other filmmakers that was inspired by a small argument that you and I had last week. Yes, I love it. I love arguments. I know you love arguments and I don't. And this is kind of, I think, maybe the crux of the conversation background for listeners at home and bring up this conversation. But I think you're, you're game. Um, so Noah, our editor, edits the show uh, and normally will text us on Wednesday nights, the night before we're going to go ahead and post the episode uh, with like uh, ideas for titles and things like that. And I'm always at Sandbox or out and about or whatever. And Oren, you're always, you're a night owl. So I feel like you're always kind of like working or just maybe more available or whatever. You and Noah tend to hash out the title um, uh, more or less without me. I like weigh in every once in a while or not. But this last week right. you were unavailable because you were in Cleveland. Um, and, and it was it, like 3 a.m. my time. It was 3 a.m. your time. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. a time that you definitely were not at Sandbox or out and about. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I had fallen asleep. And you were justly mad at me for not weighing in on. Uh, mad at you is the right. I was. I, you were. The yeah, funny it's okay. It's okay. You, you were frustrated. <laughs> you were frustrated. Yeah. That's fine. Whatever. That, that, that's not the point. The, the, the point is that. I have noticed with myself that there's a certain personality type or a certain type of argument where 
you know, we've been doing this show for years and years. You have very, very, very strong feelings about the title. And I feel less strongly than you do. It's not that I don't think it's important. It's totally important. But in terms of the person who is the most vocal, the most opinionated, and the most forthright with their opinions about the title, you would take that crown for sure. Certainly. And so over the years, I've just kind of like rolled over and been like, sure, it's fine. Like, I you kind of get tired of like pitching ideas that then get, get uh, uh, overridden anyway, rejected. And so I've just kind of like in a, in a sometimes more explicit way than that, like, you know, just kind of stopped just been like, okay, that's, that's Orin's job now. And I'm going to do other parts of the podcast. And there are things that you don't do that I do and, you know, vice versa. It's not a big deal. But this moment where the system broke down a little bit, where like there were unspoken things that I had assumed about the process that we hadn't talked about made me realize that is a behavior that I have sometimes around when the, the ingredients are right, when it's like, I don't care as much as the other person cares and the other person has a really strong personality and I'm not interested in fighting about it. And this is a thing that's going to happen over and over and over again. I just kind of like don't confront it or bring it up in any way. And that's not necessarily the right attitude for a filmmaker. Which is why I bring it up. I mean, I think that's an interesting point of view. I saw someone the other day say that a director's job is to make a decision and to say what it is. Whether it's not to make the right decision or a good decision, it's just to make a decision. That said, I don't know if us making this podcast is the same as us being filmmakers. It isn't. You know, it's kind sure, of Sure, sure. Yeah, but it mostly just made me do a little reflection. Do you ever find yourself on the other side of that coin? Are you ever like... Like, I feel like sometimes with wardrobe, you've brought that up of like, sure, mm-hmm. it's, it's not that it's not important to you, but it's that you know that other people are really going to want to weigh in. And so you're good to go. Yeah. I mean, I like to give people wins, especially when it comes to something that I don't care that much about, which is, you know, when I work with an agency on a commercial, I don't know why, but they seem to care a lot about wardrobe. It's like one of the things, maybe because a person that's never even been on a film set can have a lot of opinions. You know, a lot of people know what looks good, what doesn't look good. A lot of people very much base their opinions based on how they dress themselves. Mm-hmm. including myself. And I don't think I'm like an especially sophisticated dresser. So that's why I, I like to defer to people that are maybe more steeped in the world of fashion. But actually, this, this last job I did, like we all ended up through committee picking this like olive green shirt, which looked good on mm-hmm. our actor. But our final scene was in like a dark brown hallway and a kind of greenish brown elevator. And it caused our actor to just totally disappear. And in that situation, I I could see how the agency people weren't thinking about that. You know, that wasn't the first thing that was in their mind is like, oh, what's the background? And so with wardrobe, a lot of times I say like, okay, these are the ones you guys like. This is the one that I like the most. And I would really love to put it up on camera just so we can see what it Mm -hmm. looks like, you know, in the, in the location with the lighting, literally just like hold the hanger up and let's see if this is wardrobe that that helps us in any way because mm-hmm, i do mm-hmm. as much as i am willing to acquiesce to other people's wardrobe preferences i do think it's a very important and i think it can make such a huge difference in anything like my brother made this music video where 
it was like water related. Like a lot of people are splashing water and mm -hmm. dumping water out and doing all the stuff with water. And so he had all the people, he had a bunch of friends and family come over to help him out with it. And he had them all just wear like whatever crappy clothes, you know, the clothes you would paint in, you know, right? Mm -hmm. In the music mm -hmm. video. And then they, they shot the whole thing and he, he, we all kind of agreed that it didn't come out that good, but that it could be good. So he was going to redo it. And I was like, dude, what if every single person was wearing like a suit in mm -hmm. your next version? You know, how much cooler would that be? Like, I do think wardrobe is like so huge to, sure, to add, sure. To, you know, to, to create a character and do all that stuff. But if other people are worrying about it, especially if they have some experience with what we're doing, then I'm happy to like let them do it. And then I'll just chime in at the end. And I do kind of think that's how you are with the titles. It's like, no and I'll hash things out. And then at the end, I'll be like, Enlo, Enlo, Enlo. Do you have an opinion? Enlo, Enlo. And you'll be like, yeah, I prefer this one. And then we'll go with that. You know, I feel like usually you're at least, you know, have quite a few opportunities to reject a title that you think is really bad or something or take something away or, or tie break some options. Yeah, I think it's more, uh, it's less about the opportunity to weigh in and more about the mental shift away from this is my responsibility to like other people have it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And on something like this, of course, like you know, on our podcast specifically, like I, you know, there's a lot of things that I kind of feel like you guys are taking care of in the background and that I know, like I know our Twitter feed could be better if we actively worked on making it really good. But I know that that's like one thing that I'm like, well, Matt, has it to some degree and just a quick aside because i feel like somehow over the years i've like developed the reputation of being like the guy that cares about like reels and websites and i would happily also add to that titles <laughs> a lot of people care about titles i think everyone knows like how important a sure. title is but i just for our podcast episodes and i think this probably translates to everything especially like a documentary or like an interview medium there are a few things that are like super important to me and number one is if we've had a guest on, like, obviously I want their name to be spelled correctly. I want to make them seem cool, you know, like in the title. I want to point out their best credit or like what an amazing change they did or how they fought against all odds to get here. But I want to make sure it seems like they worked hard and that it wasn't like easy for them. That's the truth. Like we have not had one filmmaker on here who had an easy path getting to where they are. Our show is about the people that like fought against all odds and finally became career filmmakers. And then I also want something catchy, you know, something that I would click mm -hmm. on something ideally as short as possible, but that is hitting the keywords that I would click on, you know, if I saw a title. Which is, I think, where maybe things kind of break down a little bit for us is like there is a slight misalignment in terms of what you would click on versus what I would click on. And I think that like to me, it's always like, OK, well, what's the teachable thing? Like if I could give people one takeaway from the episode if that's teased in the title that to me is a good title i feel like you would rather put the name of their biggest credit in there and i i think i may be a little less worried about that because look there's other podcasts one of them is especially <laughs> guilty of doing this which they'll have a title that says like the cohen brothers teach us five lessons about you know, mm -hmm. drama sure. or something. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And then you listen to the podcast and the Cone brothers are not on the podcast, <laughs> you know? Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but I agree. But even like, let's say, you know, I think a thing that we all talk about a lot that you care about that I'm less interested in talking about is like distribution. And so I think even in a title where you say like, you know, film distribution and, and other fun facts or whatever with Oren and Matt um, is different than like 
the five rules of how to find the right sales agent or something like there's mm-hmm. there's a way to to cover the same topic in a more catchy title. It's a real hard puzzle, but I do think it's important. And that's why when it's like the night before episode comes out, I'm like, damn it, Matt, give us your thought because we haven't cracked this yet. You know, that that's sure. when I'm the most desperate for your opinion is when when I know that I've suggested five titles that are bad. Yeah, when you're like grasping at straws and like another mind would maybe help out. Yeah, that's interesting. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Anyhow, so what else have you been up to other than secretly fuming about my (laughs) (laughs) things are good otherwise you know the movie is moving along uh i've been reaching out to people a little bit you know i'd been in development on it for a long time i had a rewrite due a handful of people needed to get back to me this and that and i kind of started just this week reaching out to core collaborators and like talking to them about getting them on board figuring out the ways in which that they could be a part of the film because and this is actually this is something really worth talking about i've got a relatively long list of people that i truly love and cherish working with people that i really love people that i collaborate with people who are dear dear friends and also make films with me you're talking about like crew people like dps and crew people dps editors production designers producers all of that stuff yeah i think part of the dream i had as a as a young man as a as a kid even You know, you see Boogie Nights, you see Ed Wood, and the big takeaway is like, oh, this merry band of artists are a second family. And that's something that I've really cherished and thought hard about and really prioritized in a lot of ways. And now, you know, we're all older and have careers. 
And so I'm at this funny crossroads where I can reach out to people that I've worked with uh, for the last two decades, practically. And they're like, hey, I'd love to make this movie with you. I can't wait to get back to this style of filmmaking. I miss it. And also, I'm on a television show for the next eight months. When are you shooting? Or I just wrapped a TV show. And if it takes you six months to get this thing spooled up and another show comes along, I have to take it. I mean, how important is it to connect, to attach like, look, a producer is different, but like a DP, a production designer, AD, editor. Obviously, you want to get the best ones that you are going to mm-hmm. make the best movie with. Uh, but I've seen it happen so many times where people are mm-hmm. like, he's in especially like early, early, early. They're like mm-hmm. part of the business model. This DP did this. You sit together, you make the lookbook together, you're pitching together. You're like, they're really part of the core team that is getting this movie off the ground. And then it comes time to shooting. And, and a, a movie comes in. Yeah. Like yeah, for a, a hundred different reasons. Yeah. The actor yeah. wants a certain DP. You have to shoot in a certain country and you don't have a travel, mm-hmm. travel budget. You, whatever, your DP becomes unavailable. So I feel like the prep you can do with the DP, like my feature that I shot in New York, the hammer, I met the DP during prep, that was the first time I ever met him. We talked on the phone like once or twice beforehand. I like was a big fan of his work. I, we already had the shoot date when I hired mm-hmm. him. He flew in. We did like two or three weeks of like massive prep every day, hitting locations, watching movies, making mm-hmm. shot lists, talking about philosophies, filmmaking philosophies. By the time the shoot came, we like knew what we were doing. And it didn't at all seem like when I was showing, you know, when we were pitching the movie to investors, they did don't even know what a DP is, you know? Yeah. So what's the value of like, the producer is different. Producer is, you're going to change your schedule for your producer and vice versa. Totally. So you're not wrong in a certain sense, right? Like the the likelihood that someone will fall through or that schedules are going to shift. That's true for cast. That's true for producers. That's true for all your core core crew members. The thing that, uh, there's two reasons I started reaching out. One was more just a mental thing of like, just it's nice tell. to build a coalition, you know, to build a team. Yeah. And the more people you tell, the more you're kind of being yeah. held accountable. Yeah. You're held accountable. They have ideas. It's just pushing the ball down the hill. Right. And so there's that. Also, it's nice to hear people that you admire and trust coming in with ideas or enthusiasm or gut checking you on certain things that may or may not work. But the other thing is that this is true for both my editor that I talked to and DPs. The earlier you can start having those converse, those prep conversations, the better in so much that this film isn't a huge budget. And so the amount of prep time that you have with them where they can dedicate real honest to goodness brain space is going to be shorter than I would like for sure. You know, like we'll shot list, we'll, we'll scout, we'll do all of the things, but that like that oftentimes a film of this scale doesn't leave a ton of room for philosophical conversations besides dinner here or there. And so I thought it would be nice to give myself a little bit more of a runway basically. And also with the editor, it's like, again, somebody I've worked with for years and years. And how many times have you ha- heard an editor complain about X, Y, or Z? 
And you're like, well, dang, I wish you had said that before we started shooting. And they're like, well, I couldn't because I didn't know the plan or I hadn't read the script or you hadn't hired me yet or whatever. And I thought to myself, oh, well, it's a handful of people whose opinions I trust so much that like I want their script notes early. You know what I mean? If you're going to be doing the final version of writing this screenplay, you know, the cut, then maybe weigh in earlier and maybe we can kind of, you know, collaborate a little bit sooner on it. So that's the mentality. But I think that the ultimate takeaway is there's a lot of people who are excited and would like to do it. And also who knows if schedule will work or not. I think it's super important to start talking about your movie to everyone you can. But in terms of like the actual hiring, attaching that stuff, like the most important people to attach early are the ones that will lead to the movie getting made and Mm -hmm. money being raised. And that might be an actor, it might be an EP. On occasion, it would be a DP or something or an editor. I mean, how many times in film school are you like, we got ILM to do the sound if we're going to, we can do, you know, Mm -hmm. not ILM, uh, Lucasfilm will do the sound if we finish at this in this date. And it's like, oh, Lucasfilm, I've heard of them. Okay, I'll put money into your short. <laughs> but yeah, it seems still a little I, like it, it makes sense. But for me personally, I guess I kind of wait to like firmly attach people because, you know, you also you just don't know what's going to come up. And like sometimes you've attached the wrong person to your shoot mm-hmm. and then you feel bad or you just ha- end up having to use them because, you know, it was going to be the super stylized thing. You brought the production designer that like is like a music video person. And then it turns out you're pivoting for it to be supernaturalistic location stuff and they're going to be unhappy and you're going to be unhappy <laughs> yeah. they're still going to try to make it stylized and be disappointed they don't get to build anything you know right so right so right yeah that's cool anything anything else you shooting anything i'm shooting a lot actually yeah i've got a home goods brand i'm shooting in two weeks i'm shooting a like a hygiene brand mid-september like a food brand in september as well it's a bunch of stuff yeah Oren, what about you? A quick update on my scripted podcast. You know, it, it always, development just always takes forever. It's been like a while. It's the project has morphed a lot. You know, we're working with the producers of Twilight. So we very much took it from kind of this like gritty, naturalistic project to like a little bit more of like a, I mean, it was always a YA story. It's always like a supernatural YA story, but like kind of leaned in a little bit more into like the romance of it all, like the mm-hmm. relationships and and the will they, won't they part of it. We pitched it to our, you know, Temple Hill, the company, like multiple times. They had notes. We worked on it, reworked on it. Then they finally took it to Audible. And then they had to pitch it to Audible. Then Audible had to pitch it internally. And they liked it. Then they had to pitch it like to the bigger group internally. And then there was some feedback, which is like something to the effect of like, why are people going to connect to this? Like, why does Gen Z care about this stuff? Basically, like you work so hard to put these puzzle pieces together and craft a story that you think is interesting and unique and has its own angles. And then like at the very last minute, someone will be like, but is the main character relatable? And that kind of happened to us. And we had kind of a little, a a quick fix to make it more relatable. And I think it was kind of soft pitched. And they're like, okay, we're (laughs) we're sold, supposedly. So all I know is that our people said that we will be contacted by BA, which if you ever see that and you don't know what mm-hmm. that means, business affairs. And that usually means that there's some sort of offer coming. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I have no idea what this offer would be or even if there really is an offer or not, but that's kind of where we're at. So it's 
it's kind of exciting, kind of intimidating because if we do get the offer, then then that that's actually when we have to start doing the real work. Yeah, um, then you have to go write the show. Yeah. So yeah, that's where we're at. So it's like very exciting, but also, you know, we've been it's been dragged along for so long. We've started this pre-COVID. It's interesting to think that there actually might be this moment where we have to sit down and generate and the pages it. and yeah, yeah, and, and there's also this extra pressure for it to be really good, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which we always wanted it to be good. But when we're doing it our, on our own, it's kind of like, you know, we'll write it, we'll record it, we'll see what works, mm-hmm. what doesn't work, we'll rewrite it. Like what I like about audio as a medium is it's really easy to fix things that aren't mm-hmm. working and redo things and evolve the project. But once someone's like buying the script from you, you know, you can't be like, hey, here's this. But we, sh- we wrote three different versions of this scene, just whichever one feels right. That's the one. We yeah, use, you, know, you know, it's it's that's interesting. So this is going to step on one of my unpaid endorsements, but I'm going to do it anyway. Do walk it. with me, Orin. This is a bit of a long walk, but it's worth it. Our old pals over at the Light the Fuse podcast, the Mission Impossible themed podcast hosted by Charles Hood and Drew Taylor. They just had their 200th episode. And guess who they had surprised them on the episode? Guess who dropped in for a 45-minute conversation? Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. So exciting. Boy, it was such a treat. So exciting. You you know, they were, I think, legitimately surprised. Wait, what do you mean surprised? You can't just drop in on an episode unannounced. They've had Chris McQuarrie, who for uh, people who don't don't care too much about Mission Impossible, is kind of like the other half of the equation of the modern era of Mission Impossible movies. So he wrote on the third movie and then the fourth and fifth he directed and he's directing the the following two. And I think he wrote Top Gun Maverick also. He did write Top Gun. He's he is effectively Tom Cruise's partner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Writer, director like but but also Tom Cruise is writing things. He's pretty, he's the producer. He, they're really truly partners on every aspect. I think the reason I bring it up now, rather than at the end of the episode is that they talk about how all of Tom Cruise's recent work, they were all designed with the intention to iterate and evolve and to rewrite on the fly or the night before they were finding things as they went in those films. And we're talking live, die, repeat. We're talking Maverick. We're talking the, the modern mission movies. They all, they have a script so that they can get a green light, but they are going to shoot incredible sequences, reshoot them, pick things up. They are letting things evolve and tweaking them constantly in a way that I haven't stopped thinking about because it's a totally different philosophical shift. And like on a Mission Impossible movie, it's it's crazy because you're like, oh, I've got a whole freaking crew, you know, in Prague or wherever they are shooting this crazy sequence that might not make the movie. And they know mm-hmm. that. Like they, they talk about like Drew and, and Charles really get because there's a new Mission Impossible trailer. They're like, is this going to be in the movie? Is that going to be in the movie? Is that going to be in the movie? And the answer is like, maybe like a lot of it they're like probably not like that was the theme of the conversation you know what i mean and that they take that really seriously and that they don't want uh to mislead people or disappoint them when you see a really awesome shot in it for for a sequence in the trailer and then it's just like that whole sequence isn't in the movie you know right uh, but that happens and i i guess 
this is a long-winded way of saying maybe there's an opportunity to kind of be like, hey, we're going to write this. We're going to record a handful of different versions because this is audio and because because it's so much cheaper. You have the flexibility to record alts and find it a little bit and to treat it a little bit more like jazz, a little bit more like improv. Here, here are here's our outline. Here's our plan. Here's the best possible script that we can think of. But also, we're going to shoot some alts. We're going to record things that are going to change. We're going to plan on pickups. Look, that might be unorthodox and like the you have a lot of rope when you're Tom Cruise and you're making movies at right. Paramount because like the Mission franchise is like their main franchise. They don't have a MCU or other things to like bandy about. So that gives him a lot of power, you know, um, mm-hmm. but uh, so so it's not an Apple's or Apple's comparison, obviously, but uh, but it's a thing I've been thinking about, you know. Yeah, no, it is really cool. Yeah, I think for our project, we're not actually, I, I really, really, really want to be in the production, directing the actors and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But preliminary, our deal is like more on the writing side, mm-hmm. less on the production mm-hmm. side. So mm-hmm. um, even if we could suggest that, but I don't know that it's like we can dictate that. Um, yeah, fair enough. But but yeah, no, that's awesome, man. Now I guess I got to listen to that episode. And Tom Cruise is like talking about all that stuff, too. Yeah. Were they like fanboying out? They're composed, but it is there are more informative episodes of the podcast. Like if you're uninitiated and you want to learn about filmmaking, I think there are probably a handful of other episodes that are more about the art and craft of filmmaking. This one is a little rowdier, less structured and less incisive. There's a lot of people who's drop in. Like there's cast members from Maverick that swing by. There's announcements that happen that I won't spoil. But as a result, it's not quite as in depth as they like to go. Like if you listen to like the Robert Elswit episode or, you know, any of the other director episodes, I think they tend to be clearer. And also because the movies that they're talking about haven't been released yet and haven't been locked they're much more unsure about what they're allowed to say. McQuarrie is very right. evasive. So totally a fun episode that I really loved, truly loved. But, but maybe I would lead up to it if you haven't listened to it yet. The other thing I was going to talk about was that I was just in New York, technically New Jersey, but on the map it said West New York. So I'm going to say New York for the shoot for Marriott, not Marriott. You say Marriott, I say Marriott. Let's call the whole thing off. That's the whole time, like literally the the agency folks are like Marriott, like Chariot. They're like, he's like, what did I say? Marriott? Like, yep. Okay. okay. Marriott, Marriott, Marriott. We were doing this shoot and it was supposed to kind of feel like a one obviously there were like all these kind of stylized cuts or like continuous motion or, um, you know, uh, match cuts, things like that, because we had to move all over this hotel in this like minute long shot. But there are a couple of things that, that I did that I, I found like kind of like good, good lessons for myself. So first of all, because it was all designed to be like done in one continuous sequence, we didn't shoot any coverage. Those are the three things I want to talk about. Secondly, we shot everything on a Steadicam um, and kind of working about Steadicams. And third thing is when you only get one shot, like what size shot should that be? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I guess my first thing is that you know, I, I came into filmmaking more from the technical side and from editing and things like that. Uh, and I just, 
I think like the very first thing I ever shot, I asked my editor if she had any tips and she said, make sure to get cutaways, get inserts. She's like, you don't know how many times I can't cut a scene because I don't have a way to combine two different takes. And like ever since then, you know, many, many years ago, I always, no matter what, I just try to get a second take, even if it's the exact same thing on a longer lens or just like cutaway, just feet, just Mm -hmm. something, the screen a pan like just Is something that why there's so many foot shots in your work yeah i'm the quentin tarantino of yeah. um of uh foot shots yeah <laughs> um, no so uh <laughs> yeah i so i i just always try to get like li- literally at least two sizes so i feel like i can edit it mm-hmm. um but on this shoot it was really ambitious we had to be in like 10 different locations in one day they're all in the hotel but Uh, actually in between two hotels. Um, And I ended up not shooting any coverage at all. And I got to admit, by the end of the day, I was kind of scared. Because if one shot doesn't work, like you're kind of screwed. And we're shooting on Alexa, so only 3.2K. And, you know, you can do a little bit of a punch in or something. But um, have you ever done that? Have you ever shot things Mm -hmm. with no coverage, single camera? Yes. Yes, I have. And I think maybe the thing to be reminded of is that, like, you know, you can still, like, throw a fake whip pan on something or, like, there's a way to cheat some of those transitions that are less good than what you had composed, you know? Right. Transitions, yes. But what if a whole scene is, like, doesn't work or there's something in the background that's totally unusable or, like, Mm -hmm. the hotel changed, like, its policy and, like, something in the script no longer applies. There's a spot that I don't think is aired yet that is kind of similar in that it's like a sequence where we the camera. Yeah, that I shot where the camera whips onto somebody. They say one line and then there's a cue of some sort and then the camera whips off. And I was like, oh, this is really cool because we don't have a ton of cut downs or anything to worry about. I'm going to be really snazzy with my whips on and offs. So I I know that the next sequence is going to. I'm going to whip up to the center frame and then did back down again or whatever. And so I could be intentional with my directionality or if like, you know, we're using some sort of wipe or something like that. And inevitably in the edit, I was like, dang, I know I thought this was perfect, but I think Oren, you were like, you should cut that scene. It wasn't that it was wrong, but it was like, Oh, that's a lot harder now because the transitions don't match anymore. And you just make it work basically. Transitions, you can always figure something out, especially if it's kind of stylized. But to the result of cutting, lifting an entire line and scene. The other thing that's tricky is that like we've done the opposite where like you're in a cool Steadicam move and then you cut to an insert of a person signing a check or whatever and then back out again. And on that insert, they're like, and now with 52 new locations. (laughs) or whatever and you can tell that like oh we just had to update the the voiceover because there were there were 50 on the day of recording or whatever and it's fucking sucks man it stings it's like it 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 hurts so bad to have spent all this time and then to just have like something corny ham-fisted into the middle of it yeah and so i guess that kind of segues into the next thing which is we shot everything on a steadicam except for one one shot which was like a 
a shot, like a overhead kind of through a, through a vent, which we just shot on a ladder, but we still kind of tried to have a movement going in and out of it that would kind of match the Steadicam movement. But we shot the whole thing on Steadicam and Steadicam is probably the most common tool that you use where you do not get coverage, mm-hmm. right? Because you're designing a shot. It starts here, goes over here. We push into this, we pull out to this, we reveal here, we wipe past that. And have you shot on Steadicam at all in the past couple of years? I have shot much more gimbal than Steady in the last few years. I have a handful of Steady days under my belt and a few operators that I really love. But it's been a minute, you know. I'm trying to think of circumstances where I could choose between the two. It was either like, well, we only have money for a gimbal or we've got a great gimbal person. So let's use them. or well, obviously, this has to be steady cam. Like I'm thinking of, uh, in particular, I did a flash mob sequence for Ellen, where it was a surprise proposal, and so we had multiple steady operators in the field with a ton of choreography because we didn't want those operators to be in each other's shots, but we kind of had one shot at the authentic reaction of the person realizing oh, I'm getting proposed to in this moment. And also there's this insane musical number that's happening. I remember looking to my steady operator. My main one runs marathons and stuff. He's like in shape. He was just drenched in sweat, just just covered in sweat. And I was like, are you okay, buddy? And he was like, I've lived, I live for this. And then, you know, was back into it. I think the the main complaint that I think that I have, at least with steady, is that it's really hard to shift. It's hard to boom, basically. Whereas like gimbals, it's a lot easier to just kind of like have the person crouch. Like there's not a counterweight that's like has to you have to go low slung versus high slung or like the conversion can be a little funky sometimes. That tends to be the thing that is annoying to me with the steady cam. What about you? So I guess my pros and cons, I'll start with the pros, because nowadays I think some younger filmmakers might not even realize there are any pros to shooting with a steady cam. Um, you know, the ones that kind of grew up on gimbals. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the pros are, if you have a really heavy camera, mm-hmm. you know, an Alexa or a Big Red or something, you know, with the map box, like kitted out with like big quick lenses or mm-hmm. Master Primes or something heavy. Or even just real batteries, not those little Canon batteries, but like an actual Anton Bauer battery, you know? Um, yeah. So the so the Steadicam operator can operate a much bigger camera and still keep things very smooth their arms and elbows aren't going to get really tired Mm -hmm. Uh, the other thing is i think they have much better control over panning Mm -hmm. you know a lot of the gimbals you you can either pan with like a controller that your thumb is attached to you can have a somebody else pan for you remotely or you can have it react to your hand panning but it's just not as precise precise. as, as the pan you would have on a steady cam um and uh, I feel like those are the two biggest advantages. The other thing is obviously like you, you tend the steady cam comes with an operator who mm-hmm. is very experienced in using the steady cam and their rig specifically, and they can shoot really freaking steady shots and yeah. that look really good. That look like the big feature films that you've seen. And sometimes, you know, you see your shots and you're like, wow, that looks like a, that looks a like Hollywood a movie. movie, you know? Yeah, I, I no disrespect to gimbal operators because I have worked with some, especially recently, that are capable of getting the same sort of shots that you're describing. But generally speaking, steady cams 
are expensive and therefore the rental fee and the day rate on those people is expensive. Yeah, you're paying between 500 and $2,500 a day probably for a person, for, for an operator for, and their entire rig. And their rig. Yeah, they're great. They're really awesome. You can't you can't get somebody who hasn't figured things out yet or like has only done a couple of shoots or whatever. Like if we, when you're skilled up on steady, there's a level of quality that's required and expected or you're just not hired again really, really quickly because the barrier of entry is so high. I think that it requires it mandates a certain amount of skill, whereas like, you know, a gimbal operator, they're cheap enough that like, you know, you could give it a shot or like a DP who's used it a few times is happy to throw the camera on there and roll with it or whatever. And so I think that that is going to change. I've already seen that begin to change, but like I've never worked with a DP who was like, yeah, I'll give steady a shot. Sure. Let's try it out. You know what I mean? Because it's just the barrier of entry is too high. So one con is the price, right? One more pro, like relative to a dolly or a slider is obviously you can do really long shots without seeing your track. And also you can curve around things. You can go through difficult terrain. You can walk up hills. You can do all these things relatively quickly that would take forever to do on a dolly setup. Just putting that out there. So going to my cons, my list of cons is like, a, it's really difficult to do a very precise move. You know, you mm-hmm. want to push in from a wide to a can of Coca-Cola, like right, very still. You can do it with a steady sure. cam, but with the dolly and the boom and everything's marked, it's hard to get that same precision that you get with like a dolly or a slide or something, even like for an orbiting shot and things like that. One of my biggest cons, which I was painfully reminded of on this shoot, is steady cam is just really freaking heavy. and so. At any moment that the steady cam operator can take the camera off and, and put it on their stand and take their vest off, they'll take it because they are dying holding it. And like the, I've never been on a shoot with a steady cam where they don't use the term steady sticks at some point, mm-hmm. which is when you're like, oh, can you just get a shot of that real quick? And they're like, what's the move? And you're like, no move. And they're like, okay, does this need to be on steady cam? And you're like, yes, because you're at the camera's there already. Yeah. Just shoot it. <laughs> yeah. That's one thing. But when you're trying to frame up a shot, when you're trying to art direct something, when you're trying to see mm-hmm. how the lighting looks, when you're trying to do all this stuff, you, taking the camera on and off the steady cam is like a process. You have to rebalance things. You have to, you know, there's all these various pieces. And so it's really hard to frame up your shot before you do the shot on the steady cam. And it's so easy to do on a dolly. It's, that's true for a gimbal as well. It's true for a gimbal as well. However, with the gimbal, like even the director, the DP can go and say like, hey, I'm going to grab this real quick and they can pick up the camera and put it and just mm-hmm. look at things. They can hold it for a few seconds. They can try out different shots, try out different angles with a steady cam. You need the operator involved in helping you do that. Mm-hmm. You know, you can put the camera on a stand, but it won't be exactly the right height or the right angle. Um, Small counterpoint there. One of the things I do love about steady operators and the aforementioned experience they come with is that they are really good at pitching shots. You know, you can be like, mm-hmm. oh, this is cool, but, you know, is there anything else we can throw at it? Like, you know, like, can you give it a little bit more of a dip? I'm looking for more drama. I'm looking for more speed. You know, like they can kind of throw the kit and caboodle at it because they they have all of those moves as like muscle memory at this point. And so my last thing, my last complaint about the Steadicam is that for my shoot that I just did, I shot the entire thing on my phone with DP. We, you know, walked everything out. The camera goes from here to here and here to here. I edited it together. I had 
Bvids. I showed it to the client before the, the day before the shoot. I was like, look, here's the commercial. 60 seconds. It's me doing all the lines, the DP shooting it. Two shots. It's me shooting at the DP doing the lines. I actually, this is a fun trick. Um, if you do animatics and you happen to have a fitting with your actor the day before the shoot, just record them saying all the dialogue. That's great. And then just right oh, I love phone. that, Oren. I love that, Oren. And so the previs I showed them had our actor. It's me. It's me doing the acting, but mm-hmm. it's our actor's voice doing everything. And it's because it's a narrator voiceover kind of dialogue driven piece. It's nice to hear it with the, the voice of the actor. Anyhow, we get, get to the day of the shoot and I'm like, okay, this shot goes from this door handle, comes back out to like a medium shot or whatever. And the Steadicam operator's like, look, you can either get that door handle shot or this eye level medium shot, but I can't get both. Like, because for the reason that you said, you can boom up, you can start low and go high, but there's a certain area, which is about mm-hmm. three and a half feet off the ground that you have to commit to be either in low mode Mm-hmm. On the camera, on the steady cam, where the camera is swung low, closer to the ground, or standard mode, where the camera is up, closer to eye level. And if you're trying to go from a low mm-hmm. mode shot to a high mode shot, it's pretty much impossible. So that would have been a really easy gimbal shot, mm-hmm. you know, um, close up on door handle, back up to medium shot of the guy at the door. Um, and so we had to, our close up on the door handle has to be kind of tilted down a little bit, mm-hmm. which I, you know, hate basically tilts <laughs> um, square, basically. Yeah. yeah, I like I like the camera height to be at the height of whatever we're shooting generally, unless it's a POV shot of some sort. Yeah, so it was frustrating. So we had to compromise a couple shots. And then we had one shot where this bartender is putting something on the bar and we want to fly over the bar to him. But again, the, the mm-hmm. steady cam, unless you're in low mode, can't fly over things. <laughs> Because it's got a giant mm-hmm. stick and handle that's connected to it. Um, Which is true for a gimbal as well, right? Like gimbals have to go high or low slung. It's just the clearance is different and the moving from low to high, you can do much more easily. You just don't need as much vertical height for the gimbal. Mm-hmm. And also you can put the gimbal in one of those like circle, you know, mm-hmm. holder things, rigs, where it's more like a steering wheel and you can just kind of put it wherever you want. So... I don't know. I still freaking love handheld. You know, yeah. it's it's not sleek. It's just real. You know, you can get in there. Mm-hmm. You can go right to anywhere you want, and that's why I freaking love my iPhone <laughs> shots. Mm-hmm. I can I can put my phone anywhere and get a better shot. And literally, you know how the lenses are in the top left corner of like mm-hmm. your phone. Even if you turn your phone upside down, the lenses are like right on the ground. If you want them a tiny bit higher, you turn it. So I can't wait. For the future when like our alexas are as easy are the to size of our phones as yeah, our phone. yeah. not even the size just like have you know there's that trinity system that kind of lets you do some things <laughs> like that really expensive complicated gear can get you those shots but you know for the normal folk the steady cam is a great solution for some things but it's definitely not a great solution for all things and it's kind of ties to my last point i wanted to make about my shoot which is that we had this entire sequence and because we were so cramped, because I wanted to go from this door handle back to a shot of like our main guy and like a few people behind him and we're on the steady cam and we're in this hallway and we have all these limitations. I ended up really only being able to get like a medium shot of our actor at the end. It just reminded me like how important I think it is to get like a wide shot of your ending. I just love having a wide shot. It, especially if you're doing something snappy and snazzy and fun, 
like at the beginning establishing and at the end, you know, my, my thing ended up being mostly wide, like kind of cowboy and wider shots, head to toe shots, um, with like some push-ins and some transitions. But I was like so bummed when I saw our cut that I didn't get a wide shot at the end because wide shots to me just have like such a ending feel and medium shots don't, you know, my tip is a very, very <laughs> generic tip that probably doesn't apply to 80% of things you shoot. But if you want to have like an ending that kind of lets you go with some closure, like a wide shot, just, just get a wide shot. And then, and I do think for openings, a lot of times wide shots work too. Inserts and really close up things also work well for openings a lot of times too. Those are my takeaways from my shoot in New York slash New Jersey. I'll say this, Oren. I shot a, a campaign in 100 degree plus weather um, and we were shooting on iPhones and it was mostly really fun. But I'll tell you what, those things, when they get hot, they just stop working. And we were just like constantly juggling iPhones back and forth. It's not a cinema grade camera, OK? <laughs> well, Kaplan. Yes. Another great episode. Do you have a few more minutes to endorse with me? Yes, I do. Unpaid endorsements. So I already mentioned 200th episode of uh, Light the Fuse podcast with friend of a friend, Tom Cruise. That's the first one. The second one is called Wally Woods, 22 panels that always work. Or some interesting ways to get some variety into those boring panels where some dumb writer has a bunch of lame characters sitting around and talking for page after page. So Wally Wood is a legendary cartoonist and uh, comic book illustrator. He was the highest paid illustrator of his day when he was at Mad Magazine. He was paid 200 bucks per page at Mad Magazine. And he famously quit Mad to go over to Marvel Comics where he was getting an industry whopping 20 per page instead. 15 more bucks to ink it. So he took a, a major, major pay cut to work for Marvel at the time. And as a result... He had a number of apprentices that he was kind of constantly trying to school on ways to be efficient, right? Like when you go from 200 bucks a page down to 20 bucks a page, all of a sudden you don't have time to what he called noodle. He didn't have time to think about things. So he created this one sheet called Wally Wood's 22 panels that always work. If you Google Wally Wood 22 panels, and it is literally 22 different drawings where the characters are saying things like big head extreme close-up one big object side light or top reflection and they're basically just comic book compositions and they are great for shot ideas as well and look we have resources like this or look one perfect shot or frame grab there's all sorts of different filmic references uh, where you can just look at different shots and get inspiration that's old news. But there's something really awesome about black and white drawings. They're so elemental. They're so clear. They're so concise that that just boils it down to this is a couple different ways to do cool shots all in one page, basically. Wally Woods, 22 panels that always work. And then my final endorsement is a Oren Kaplan special, a YouTube series called The Effects of After Effects. And it's 190 videos that break down literally every single effect in After Effects in a way that's really clear, really thorough, and watchable. 
Effects of After Effects is the name of the series. It's by the channel Jake in Motion. And like I said, it's 190 different episodes that go through literally every single effect in the After Effects canon. They'll group certain things together. Fill, Tint, Tritone, and CC Toner are all in one video. Uh, and they range from like, look, there's a two and a half minute, two minute video all the way up to, you know, stuff that's really complex is closer to an hour. But I found it to be really helpful because I think as a person who's mostly self-taught with the exception of like when you've stepped in to like show me how to fix a thing that I was trying to work on. I find that when I'm self-taught with things and I'm not learning from like a course or a book or something like that, oftentimes I will skip over a fundamental, skip over like a foundational thing and realize like, oh, I just never clicked that slider or learned why things are grouped a certain way or, you know, kind of like the more macro ideas behind a lot of these processes. And this kind of fills in those gaps, basically. So Jake in Motion is the channel. Effects of After Effects is the series, but all of his videos are pretty good. That's my recommendation. Okay, well, I have uh, a new segment I'm introducing right now. Mm. As I get older, uh, more things bother me. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'm going to throw in a, an unendorsement. So today's unendorsement is uh, people that say to put something on the porch and they'll pick it up and then they never come and pick it up. Drives me nuts. If you tell someone you're going to pick up something off their porch, please go do it. Orin, do you know what a subtweet is? <laughs> uh, when you tweet. When you clearly like are tweeting about someone doing something but you're being vague about it and you're not adding them like for instance if say you said you were going to come i don't know pick something up from my uh porch and then didn't Mm -hmm. if and i just said i hate it when people do this when i really mean i hate it when oren kaplan does this this what i'm getting at is that this feels like a specific complaint about the specific this isn't a plight that people are dealing with all the time do people not know it is that's what I thought. It's happened at least 10 times in, in 2022 to me. Um, I really? mean, a lot of it has to do with like, we're trying to get rid of all the stuff our kid doesn't need anymore. My wife's like uh, in these sure. baby yeah, groups yeah, yeah. and she's like, just pick this. So there's literally, there've been like three or four things on the porch. Sure. Or like, Hey, someone Whereas wants it. You guys are just like, Hey, we're giving you this stuff. Here it is. Ding dong to me. Yeah. Or actually my <laughs> wife has even sold some things. Um, and Oh yeah. To you. We, yeah. We just hand it to you. But, um, I'm like coming home, like Kara, why this thing has been on the porch for like three weeks. We also like have an Airbnb. So people are like just seeing all this junk piled up on our porch. And she's like, the, the lady told me she's coming today. If you tell someone you're going to pick something up off their porch, either pick it up or tell them that you're not going to come today so that they don't leave it out on their porch. Sure. Yeah. That's my own endorsement for today. I have, I have a long list of, uh, tune in every week to get a new Kaplan one. gripes. Uh, and then this is an obvious one. Probably most of our listeners have already seen it, but David F. Sandberg had another video he posted. Did you see it? About no. Going to Comic-Con as an introvert. Oh, that'll be good. I can't wait. And I understand. Just goes through the, he yeah, goes through the entire process of like, you know, he went to talk about Shazam 2, his new movie, mm-hmm. and just how he's surrounded by like Zach Levy and mm-hmm. Levi and all these very charismatic, outgoing people and how, Everyone just always thinks he's like sad or depressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's just like kind of shy, you know, um, and the things you have to do as a filmmaker. And he actually went to like 
they send them to some sort of like PR school to like help train them on how to like be mm-hmm. interesting or how training. to answer the questions yeah. he wants to answer as opposed to the questions he doesn't want to answer. And it's, it's pretty fascinating. Like all of it. David F. Sandberg, his name on YouTube is Pony Smasher. I think he's on Twitter also at Pony, P-O-N-Y Smasher. Great. I can't wait. Well, cool. Well, thanks, Matt, for connecting with me here in Cleveland. You know, it's high in the middle and round on both ends. Hmm. Ohio. Ohio. If you have questions about Oren's puns or um, <laughs> his gripes, any of that stuff, you can send uh, all of those. Email us at justshootapod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at justshootapod. Kind of across all social media. We're hanging out. And you can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlow. And I'm at O. Kaplan on Instagram. I'm at SmiteyPileg on Twitter. This episode was edited by Noah Bayshore. You should check him out at Noah Bayshore on Instagram. And the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.